Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. There's always an opportunity. And the thing that will kill you is when people are tired and worn out and don't have the vision to see them through. Paul and Ari call this the zone of blame and doubt. And there is the zone of blame and doubt. It's a big deal. And by showing people, it's that sharing the numbers. It's showing them the cheese. It's letting them know how much what they're doing of what they're doing really means to that producer. All these things, they're vital. So vision for the zone of blame and doubt. This is David Lockwood, Managing Director of Neil's Yard Dairy in London. And they're on a mission to improve British cheese. And they're now selling cheeses to food businesses throughout the UK, as well as exporting around the world. And David shares the incredible story and journey for the company and how they went from a startup to established business and how the purpose has been at the center of developing and growing the business. We discuss how they see growth and profitability and how that's connected with the purpose. In the conversation, David also raised uh, a very important point around helping consumers getting better understanding how great food is made and how much love and care that's put in making it. And he believes we need to get more connected as consumers and people with the food we eat, the people that is making it and the farm it comes from. He also talks about the importance of a business to pay people the salary they can live up and also grow them as an individual and give them transferable skills. We discuss how they are working with involving their people in developing their 10-year vision for the business. David talks about the importance of involving your people in setting the path for the future. David shares the people first leadership philosophy and how they work hard to bring this to life. He says it's not easy, but when you get right, it becomes your key competitive advance. We talk about how their culture is built on standards and autonomy and how that comes to life in the everyday work. We also discuss how they work with open book management and how it makes people understand the business financial situation and what they can do to contribute to make it better. David honestly shares some really great thoughts in this conversation on his own leadership learnings and reflection, which we all can learn from. But before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. And please download a free copy of the Fragile to Agile white paper we are done in cooperation with BizSimply at bizsimply.com under the resource tab or via the link in the show notes. We have some great insights and solutions for improving your leadership game. 
This episode will inspire you to think differently on growth, leadership, and how to build culture. So I've been on an interesting journey this afternoon. Uh, before we sat here and sat down to record this episode with, with David from uh, Nils Yard Dairy, we actually went around in, in the factory and. Um, I didn't know what to expect before I arrived to the factory. Besides, I've seen there was a video. It was amazing to see, you know, people that care so much about produce. And we tasted some of the lovely cheese you had that was on its way uh, to get ready to be sent out. Uh, and you gave, you know, the whole breakdown of how you actually, you know, you do this and all the, the details and care that goes in to get, you know, lovely cheese out to the market. So, we can have better cheese on our plates when we ate food. So that was extremely, extremely exciting to, to go around with you there, David. But also what we're going to be talking about, why we actually were put together by a, a shared connection of ours. And then friend, Ari from, from Singerman's was said, you guys need to sit down and have a conversation about, you know, uh, about uh, food and leadership and especially leadership and business paradigm i think it's it's now that the playbook has been totally ripped apart and now we're trying to build this new world there's a chance to talk about a business paradigm and the way you look at business and Nils dairy and similar singermans look at businesses that's very different than the traditional way of looking at business short term versus long term in a way so we'll come back to that but welcome to the show uh, david it's a pleasure to be here thank you michael it's really an honor to be here and uh, david for for people that doesn't know like who you are and also Niels yard dairy because i think people knows Niels yard but maybe not the dairy bit so much right. but um can you talk a bit about you know how long you've been around as a business what your role is and how you got involved because you came from from the u.s right to the uk to sell cheese in principle that's exactly it so neil's yard dairy is a business that was founded in neil's yard in 1979 there are a bunch of neil's yard businesses the best known i imagine is neil's yard apothecary therapy rooms i forget what their, their official <laughs> title is now because it, it changes over time um but we were all founded in neil's yard and it was 1979, Nick Saunders, who started all the businesses, serial entrepreneur, uh, decided he wanted a micro-dairy. And Randolph Hodgson, who's still one of my partners in the business, he came in and started making cheese and became the full-on owner within three months' time. And the business has evolved since then the micro dairy part of the business spun off into its own business it's now out in herefordshire called neil's yard creamery and that happened in the 80s and we began selling well maturing and selling british cheese not because we're nationalists but because when randolph was still making cheese he would go to the farms well, actually, the farms, the, the cheesemakers came to the dairy first because they heard about this place in London. They'd get talking, and he'd end up going to the farm, and he'd always come back with cheese because he thought, oh, this is great, we could sell it too. And so 
that's how we got buying British cheese because it was easy. We he didn't speak French, and even though Normandy is closer to London <laughs> than Lancashire, um, Lancashire is more local because he can speak to them and you know in the language that he's comfortable in, or he could. And um, we got into maturing cheese for the same reason. He'd bring back ten wheels of Lancashire, say. And we weren't going to sell it in one week, so we had to do something with it. And because the people who worked at the dairy and work at the dairy are curious, we spent time observing where the cheese would do best. And cheese is an amazing product because it tells you exactly what it wants and the way it behaves. And so they started paying a lot of attention to maturing. Um, and also paying attention to the way cheese the cheese is tasted so it became obvious that from day to day the cheeses would taste different simply because it's a different vintage every day and so they began selling the cheese on on taste which was very revolutionary at the time and from there it caught attention you know, attention of people who like food because all of a sudden it was this really fun, interesting thing for someone to come into the shop and walk through this journey of tasting, you know, tasting, say, three different dates of Montgomery's cheddar to decide which one they liked best so they could take it home. Um, from there, a chef called Sally Clark, who still has restaurants in London, came in. And after I don't know how long of badgering Randolph uh, got him to wholesale. And then in 1989, so 10 years after the business had been going, uh, Jane Scotter, who used to be a partner at the dairy, now owns Fern Vero, which is an amazing biodynamic farm out in Herefordshire, um, met Ari Weinzweig out in uh, West Cork at Gabine, and they got talking. And I can't tell the story as well as our Jane because they were there and I wasn't. Yeah. But um, long and short of it is Ari came back and I was managing the retail side of the deli at that point and said, I want to bring in the Neil's Yard Dairy Cheeses. I think they're going to be amazing. And we did in 1990. We were the first ones to import the Neil's Yard dairy cheeses into America. And um, I met Randolph and Jane and said, hey, I'd really like to know about maturing cheeses. Um, would it be possible for me to come and intern with you for a while? And they said, yeah. And so in 91, I came over for a year. It turned into two years, and my girlfriend, now my wife, Jennifer Cast, came over as well. She's ex-Delhi uh, as well. Mm. And um, we learned tons about maturing cheese, about working in a small business. And it was fantastic. And in that time, the export grew a bit. Uh, my one of my other partners in the business, Jason Hines, took on the exports. 
um, when my training visa was up and we moved back to America, spent time with Jason building up American sales. And then uh, my, my path kind of diverted for a little bit. I decided to go do an MBA at Georgetown and did. And when after working a summer on Wall Street, um, <laughs> realized there was no way I wanted to do that. I was on the phone with Randolph. He said, come back, you'll be a partner in the business. And so we moved back in 98, which was really good for me. Um, and I hope the dairy. Uh, we, in the intermittent time, we opened up our business in Europe. And it's a, if, if you don't mind indulging me, it's a great story. And it speaks to a lot of our um, technique <laughs> method for, for going into a new market. Uh, in this case, someone did it for us. Uh, we had this guy who is an amazing customer, Steve Saltzman. And his father, Harry, was one of the original Bond producers of the James Bond series. And he'd come into, you know, into Neil's yard, into the yard itself, on his bike, on his mountain bike every Saturday, and buy Kirkham's Lancashire. Just loved that cheese. And then he moved to Paris. And he'd still come by every once in a while when he was in town, buy a huge amount of cheese and take it back, but said he's working on something for mm -hmm. us. And... It turned out he was going to every fromager in Paris to find the one he thought was best. And he found a guy called Pascal Trotz. And Pascal was incredibly respected by the cheese selling fraternity and very, very knowledgeable and not afraid of a good cheese. And so when Steve brought him the Lancashire, he said, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, can, I really want that. I don't care if it's British. I just want it because it's good. Hmm. And so Pascal took our cheese. And with that, all the other good fromagers in Paris said, oh, if he's taking it, it must be good enough. And that, that strategy for opening a market, it happened accidentally in the States because Ari from Zings was interested and other people saw it there. Hmm. But it worked in Paris. And since then, we, we've followed this this trail we now sell all over the world um but us and eu are our biggest export markets we do a lot of business uh trade business in the uk and we have three shops and three joint venture partnerships with uh shops in oxford manchester and exeter and the super interesting thing is that you've been around for decades now and the purpose of the business has that changed because it's very clear on your website what the purpose is to, so, to yeah. make British cheese better yeah we, 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 we actually cut it down to three words improve British cheese um, which you know it, mission statements are a dangerous thing because if you're not careful they become trite you know you could go into any motorway services in the uk 
and by that bathroom with a list of things saying it's been cleaned well into next week <laughs> next to it it says we aspire to have the cleanest and bestest bathrooms and motorway services in the uk um so we don't want that but we really do want to improve british cheese and um we spend a lot of time talking about that mission what does it mean what's it look like and it's that discussion around it that makes it valuable the three words they're great but truly what makes it valuable is all the discussions around okay what's it look like well i want to make sure that this farm call it uh oh the fletchers who make barkswell and that stephen fletcher is my age you know in his 50s and what's going to happen well his son george has come into the has come into the business now and is very keen and interested and so it's going to there's going to be succession and so that to me is a symbol of improving british cheese we're hanging on to it people coming into it feeling that they could actually make a living making cheese selling cheese with a cheese shop vital those are all indicators that our mission is working that our staff staff our colleagues they're not staff they're their colleagues their friends um that they feel that they can make a go of working at the dairy selling cheese british cheese um why do we say british cheese is a good question that i ask myself a lot cuz really i want i want the cheese world to work together but our focus can only be so so large and that's why we narrow it to to british cheese but our community of cheese people and and that could mean competitor you know people with with who are other cheese shops selling retail other wholesalers or exporters or even producers we don't buy from and our community outside the UK in terms of matures shops etc throughout Europe the US Canada what wherever Australia that that we we need that to be strong that's that's going to see us that's going to see us through by building that community we will have the strength to move forward strength strength and resource go on the interesting about you know when we talk about food it's may you talk about making it better together with other people and making a living out of it you used yeah. the word making a living out of it a couple of times yes Can you explain why that is so important when especially when we talk about food because I think there's a lot of people I think people listen to the podcast probably know but actually how hard it actually is sometimes to make money when you do things the right way around food. It is tough. Um retail retailing food is a tough gig and a lot of the time in especially in a city like London it's it's difficult to make enough money to to live reasonably and i guess 
in answer to your question, why is it hard? Why do I talk about it? Uh, because I worry that people don't value good food well enough and that the labor that it takes, whether it's on the farm, in the cheese room, in the maturing room, and then in the shop, isn't understood. E even, even with um, great customers, two vignettes. One, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful customer who has been working with us since 1994, 93 even. And she was, she came with us when we were selecting Montgomery's cheddar. We, we go and select the batches that we like for most of our hard cheeses um, once at minimally once every four months, usually once a month on the biggest selling cheeses. And she was there. She'd been buying from us for 15 years and we were, we were selecting through the cheese. And at the end she's like, Oh, this is selecting cheese. It's not just picking the batch you like best. It's talking to the producer about what they're doing, understanding what's going on on the farm, what's going on in the make room, how they're feeling about things, and then understanding how that relates to the cheese, and then choosing the ones that, in the case of the cheddars, they were trying how they're gonna, that they'll be delicious in nine months time. And, and so that's, that's one thing that's, that's about that work and how difficult it is for us to, to express that nuance to people. The second one, and, and this is, it's, it's painful to me to talk about, but, but I'll, I'll say it. We had a woman work for us with us, sorry. Um, who she, she's great. Um, and is great. She, she, she now has a hotel in New Orleans. And, and at one point, I remember her saying to someone new about how, well, you can't really think about the salary so much. It's more like a charity to work here. And I have to say, it was like, it was like a pin to my eye mm -hmm. <laughs> because as if, if that's the case, no one's going to come in it. It's not sustainable. And and we, me, Randolph and Jason at that time spoke about it and said, this isn't good enough. We need to change that. And so we need people to understand we're not we're not going to pay banker salaries here. We understand that. And people who come and work with us understand it, too. But we have to be able to pay people a salary that they could live, not survive, but live on in London, because that's where they're actually living, mm -hmm. and also provide people with the opportunities to grow professionally themselves so that where they, they might not see as many financial rewards as they might in another business to, to get those kind of rewards when they're working with us. 
That's super interesting because what you're talking about is not just making cheese better, but actually making people better at something as well. And also that, you know, we have to spend the time and love to get proper food as well. And we talked when we walked around about the, the, the food system that's under pressure because we probably have industrialized too much of it and been become disconnected with you know food and land and how nature works with it and mm-hmm. things can't be available around the clock um how, how do you look at you know because one of the interesting thing when you talk with you know md ceos is that your job is to grow the business that will be you know your number one mm-hmm. depending on the rapid growth you need depends on the pressure you have above uh, and i know you have a very different approach to to growth and how you think growth what, what is the plans for you for you as business and how do you you know because you've grown now from just in london national global in principle worldwide selling cheese how do you do that and actually keep all the you know the the, the things the ethics in place at the same time so it's a challenge for us we'd like to grow but our motivations for growing aren't only financial there yeah of course there are financial motivations to grow but actually our 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 desire to grow is very much mission driven as well it's back to that showing if, if we're growing we're creating market for people to come in and make great cheese we're in this position now we don't have enough of the cheese, the the type or of cheese that we need to sell to maintain our standards. And when I say our standards, it's a, it's a really um, distinct statement I'm making because someone might disagree with me. They might not like a cheese that we're buying and really like one that we choose not to buy. But our standards are about the cheeses we like best just to lay that out there. And this year, we're capped, right? But it's our goal that in the next 10 years, we take our business from roughly 600 tons to 800 tons of cheese, which sounds either a very small amount or a very big amount, depending on your perspective. I I was looking up... um, I think it was in 1819 that yeah, in 2018 2019 that the UK consumed roughly 429,000 tons of cheese. And we're looking to nick another 200 tons out of that commodity consumption and make it into where we're going. The 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 end of the market that we prefer. And in order to do that, we, we, we will grow, we will grow, but we need all these other bits of the market to come along with us. And and that's what makes us, that's what makes us interested in the growth end of things. We have, we have different size producers as well that we work with. We're working with a producer who has 19 goats milking at this point and they're not they're not high 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 yield producers either uh in those goats that is compared to um our largest 
regular producer who makes about 425 tons of cheese a year. So, so we're working in a, a large spectrum of, of a range of sizes. And, and with this 200 tons more that we picked out, we want, we want a nice spread of all of it. But people, all people who are trying to do a good job, who care about things it, until, well, until very recently, when we talked about the mission, it was also, we're flavor driven, you know, we want it to taste the way we like it best. And that was, that was the bottom line. And actually, uh, as a group of the working group of directors in our latest vision, we came up with the idea that actually it's time to expand that we need people to be doing it sustainably as well. And I'm not a farmer. I never have been, but I'm learning so much about it. And one of my greatest teachers is a gentleman called David Clark. He he's a farmer and he makes the Spark and Ho Red Leicester and the um, Spark and Ho Blue. And um, what he's taught me is every farm needs to be farmed the way that farm demands it be farmed. And it's just, it's like, that's it. And he's saying, do it well. But you you can't, there's not a model that's going to work everywhere for everyone. What you want is for people to have these principles that they're working towards, but how they get there is down to geology, geography, prince um capital and and the decisions you make around it and and your your personal set of beliefs now so we're learning about that that there's all the sustainability stuff the you know there's carbon sequestering and and how are you are you carbon neutral there's issues around oh that's my cat um there's issues around um Pollution and, and and what are you doing with the water water courses? Are they protected in the way you're farming? There's issues to do with soil regeneration. How's that fit in? There are other issues in terms of animals. There are some people out there who feel that we shouldn't be farming animals at all, that it's wrong. And we don't happen to feel that way, but it doesn't mean that their point of view doesn't deserve to be understood to see is is it because they don't ethically they don't believe it's right or if it's from a a climate standpoint where depending on the type of farm you're working with it does matter what's going on and these are all questions that we're working with those are external ones with our our producers and then internally we need to be better too because you know you can't just look out and tell people what to do we need to we need to change what we're doing we need to not not be wasteful like i showed you on on the on site at the arches you know if there's spare heat coming out of our refrigeration that needs to become warm water if there's cleaning to be done we need not to pollute the water course and so it's about what we do and that's vital
But interesting, if I'm like listening to you and summing up there, you talk about that growth is about, in principle, about becoming better. So maybe there's a demand that's even bigger that you can serve. There's customers that's willing to pay. They're mm. there. But if you can't do that in a sustainable, holistic way where everybody wins, you are not having healthy growth. That's in principle what you're saying. No, no, it's not that if we can't. It's that we will do that. We will. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Um, because again, it's about the pressure you put on the you know the farmers the the animals i guess and and all those things that sometimes when hyper growth comes in that we want to you know this is a great business let's put it in a model as you say and then let's see how fast we can grow that for for us the danger in that sort of thing is that when um for for our customers and, and actually the way we feel about things if we grow too quickly and choose the cheeses that we don't particularly feel strongly about or should should you know from shouldn't be on our counter we're sliding to the squeezed middle and we're not going to compete there we could compete on flavor and on service and hopefully on knowledge as well we try not to waste our customers money or our suppliers frankly on things like transport, doing it poorly, or you know, we work um, we work with a lean system. We're not Toyota, but we're trying to we're trying to be good at these things. But the focus is that quality of cheese. That's what keeps us in business. That that's what will help us achieve the goal of improving British cheese, and. And so, so the way to compete at that level is to understand what you're good at and build on that. Does that make sense to you, Michael? It, it totally makes sense um, because, again, it, it maybe feels counterintuitive compared to the normal growth paradigm where we talk year on year or week on week improvement of sales and profitability, but actually it's about delivering a vision and actually you know understanding what you the seeds you plant today will prosper tomorrow and you just made a 10-year plan or commitment vision with, yes. the, with the team can you just like shortly explain how you did that and and why you work in 10 years instead of three years or one year so why why we did it is is very simple we can get wrapped up in the day-to-day really easily and um, without without that long-term outlook we'll keep paddling along but we're not going to do anything special and if we want to really make a difference to, to do things well and I'm not saying we have to be the only ones out there leading the the charge. I'd love it. I'd love it. I mean, it, it's wonderful, actually. I do love it that the Courtyard Dairy, Andy Swinsco and Kathy Swinsco, have come along. They're they're a smaller retailer, and they do a bit of wholesale, but they're doing the right stuff. They're working with producers, and we're there together. But there's that leadership 
in in the industry that I want to be in and and to have the ideas to have the mind space the bandwidth to actually do this stuff you need to think ahead think what's important take that time so we went away um and spent some time thinking about it a lot of time thinking about it and wrote it up we had we're also really fortunate because we have an amazing uh amazing bunch of managers and actually colleagues who aren't managers too are demanding saying what's the vision what are we going to do where where's the path you know not this is exactly what we wanted we're going to be doing but what's it going to look like what do you do you see it looking like at this point in time and so those that combination of things drove us to put together it's actually still in a draft format because it's not done till March um, but the the initial vision and the next step for us is the strategic plan which is what are the steps to making that happen and that's something that will work out with the team because frankly I'm not the one who's going to make the sales happen at our new shop in Islington it's the the north of the river management team Miranda and Will who are going to take care of that and and that's where their responsibility will come into play and it's not to say I absolve myself of that I'll be active in it but they need to believe it because they're going to do it and so that's we're going to take that vision which is pretty close close enough that we could start working on that strategic plan and put it into place with nice clear metrics and places where we check in to see how we're doing because if we need to change things that's okay i i don't know what's going to be happening in 10 years if i did i'd probably own an island in the bahamas but as i don't I'll be uh, advisor to the president. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. But but I don't. But I what well, but I do know that we can make a good guess at it and and I, I don't know. I love I love the um Sun Tzu's thing. The the first casualty on the battlefield is always the plan. Absolutely. But that doesn't matter. The point that you the point is that you've taken the time to think things through beforehand so that your next plan won't be based on on nothing you've done a lot of that work already it's interesting you're talking about planning uh and 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 talking ahead and we you touch a bit on the people bit and involving them in the plan and you know writing up like a thing like this and uh, and you could see when we're in the factory um, we could see that people were working on each that part of whatever had to be delivered and you had uh, different plans on the wall, standards, mm-hmm. and, and so on. We'll come back to standards in a moment. But, but what is your approach to people? Because you talk a lot about partners, business partners, people being involved, joint venture. How do you see people connecting with this way of growth? How do you think people, management or leadership as a company? Oh, uh, I think that, well, I think we're absolutely dependent on people. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, there's no better way to demotivate your workforce 
than to not treat them with respect and as the intelligent human beings that pretty much most all of them are and some of them you know I, I I can't think of anyone who's worked at the dairy who didn't have something valuable to to contribute at some point you know some some of some of those those uh employment terms didn't end you know in glory but honestly i it, when you treat people with respect and and listen to them what they see and what they hear is amazing and their ability to contribute to feel part of things is 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 vital to to making a change and i guess why i keep i go beyond the dairy is if when i think of when i think of our suppliers that we buy from as partners it changes the relationship it means that i'm listening to them more and they're listening to me more and and we get places faster um likewise with customers they tell you stuff sometimes you like hearing it sometimes you don't but it's the stuff you need to know if you're gonna keep doing things well yeah um and and so i guess that's it just listen and and uh, listen and be respectful and if we do that it's all going to focus back cheese doesn't make itself right and it's the people who well the cows make it but the cows get a lot of help from the people in terms of the feed and the milking and yeah but but and and so that's that's why it's so important and um i think that when people are interested they stick around longer and that that intellectual capital that they've acquired over time it's amazing and as much as it hurts when someone leaves who you really enjoy working with honestly if they stay in the industry it's great you know um we're here in borough talking uh, there was a manager here for i don't know how many years maybe eight ten years uh who left recently and now he's making cheese and we sell it mm. i love that 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 that's that's exactly what what i'd like to happen when people or they open a hotel in new orleans or whatever it is you know but we stay friends do you see a bit like you are you're not creating good employees you're creating good business people that believes in the same things that you guys believe in so thereby you know you can throw a stone out and improve the world by they take some of the learnings because you always you know you influence wherever you go and get your your training or the companies you stay with for 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 years even decades sometimes i i would hope that rather than creating we it's more that we allow people the opportunity to grow with what they already have you know and sometimes sometimes people are are they want it faster than we could offer it to them which is fair enough um sometimes 
sometimes we just can't do or give what they want at all. You know, it's just, but then we shake hands and try and help them find that right job. Um, I, I guess one of the things I've found more and more lately is people, people ask for a, a plan, a very, you know, they want to know what, what am I going to be doing in five years? And I will confess to being quite mixed on this question because it reminds me of my summer as an intern on Wall Street when that was the way it went, you know, well, this is what you do. And if you're good, you'll move on. And if you're not, you move out. And I, I would hope that we could give people an idea or people would accept that we could give them an idea of where things will be but also that we want to be nimble enough and small enough because we're not that big that there's an understanding that things will change and that you have to be if you want that sort of clear hierarchy or it's not, I don't know what the right word is but that clear path for what you're going to be doing over the next five years and the titles associated with it maybe you're better off at a more corporate culture in a more corporate culture cor corporate we are a corporation but in yeah. a more traditionally corporate culture yeah. Yeah. because one of the things i noticed when i was walking around was it was not like even though you gave people freedom to operate as i could see it permission to operate call as well you can see people uh, there was still a lot of numbers i call number standards as well we need mm. to achieve this to do well for the customer or yes. the quality and cheese and you know you were quite rigorous about the whole safety about the place you know and as you should be from a food safety but also because you want to do a good job and you can see that people were actually walking around writing down things and yeah. there was like a, a certain amount of standards a bit like you know one of my favorite uh, sports people around standards is michael jordan that comes from your country that talks a lot about your your fundamental standards every day that's where it starts right. is that you know can you see that you know it's you know people normally think when people have freedom there's no rules there's no standards but as i saw it in your business and you can correct me that's what it's all about. It's the day-to-day -day standards, that 1% better every day. Uh, yes. Um, I think that people, when they're held accountable for when things go well, as well as when things mm -hmm. go wrong, are happy to work in, in the way we ask them to because it's fair it it's very i'd like uh here's my wish that it is very clear what everyone's supposed to be doing at all times and as much as you might yeah as someone coming through the first time see all the stuff that's right for me i also see all the stuff that's not quite so right but also know that we're all working really hard to make those things right more right and working out what the next thing also that we could do a little better is that 1% you're talking about. Um, but I think that, I think that when people understand, you know, the mission, whether, whether or not they could talk about it, but if they could understand it in their hearts, they will make 
good decisions. We also train people pretty hard. You know, the, the for instance, the production line where the orders going out get packed. To be fully trained in there is roughly 75 work days, right? Which is, you know, and that's just the train to do the basics, you know, train to taste cheese well. That's two years of tasting all the time because you need to be through all the seasons all the time, you know, for, for so twice, you know, through through all the seasons. And if assuming you're paying attention when you do it. Um, so we do spend an awful lot of time training. I think fundamentally, and maybe maybe my experience is different than most, but I could say when I worked at Zingerman's, when I've worked at the dairy, I think most people really want to do a good job and want to, especially if, if there's a bit of recognition that they're doing it well. And so, so with, with that in mind, I don't, I don't think it goes to anarchy all that quickly. I think, I think people, if anything, become too uptight about the rules at times. Yeah. But the interesting thing, again, with, with standards, that's my own experience as well, is that you know, uh, often people in very traditional organizations don't know the numbers. So they don't know what to improve and thereby they get demotivated. But they actually want to know what the numbers is because then I can see I'm part of pushing the cart in the right direction. Yeah. And we touched sh- shortly and we were walking around of open book management, you know, yeah. involving people in the numbers. And you said like, you know, pre-pandemic, we had it here on the wall. Now we have it online. But again, you, you share the numbers with people yeah. so they clearly understand where, where the business is today and could be tomorrow. Yeah, I have, well, Ari and Paul, mm-hmm. the other founding partner at Singerman's kind of, they beat that one into, they didn't beat it into me, they showed me. Mm. How effective it is to not be afraid to share the numbers um, when people know what is it it's back to if you know the expectation if you understand what's going on around it then you can make good choices and I believe maybe naively that most people can and do make good choices when presented with the right information. Um, I'm not afraid to, to share the numbers. That is true. We don't share salaries. We, um, we, we never have. Um, part of me is tempted to go down that road, but <laughs> I know that, uh, I know that three of my partners, <laughs> the other three active partners are not tempted at all. And probably, probably for now it's wiser not to, but you know, it, it does make it clear to staff that the whole of this staff at the dairy that you know we don't we don't have yachts docked down on the south coast. You know, we're working hard. We make a we make a decent living, and and that that's what there is. And it's also clear in terms of you know when. Either you want to buy, make a capital expenditure, buy something, or if you're arguing for a salary rise for your department, and you, you know, we could look at the numbers together and know, is this possible? Is it not? And it's very simple that way. 
and and that's you know very counterintuitive from the traditional business where you probably don't know much what's going on besides top line and some parts of the the, the P&L which can then also be shadowed of how those numbers has been put up so I think that's a very interesting thing concept in itself um, but then you've been through the pandemic as a business as well um, and I think it's very interesting as we, we look back now we out of you know or maybe out of the worst battlegrounds I don't think we are on the other side yet but what has been your learnings as you know an individual a CEO that wants to do the right thing with the business how was the, how is this you know is there anything that like you that really you know you're left behind with like a reflection something has changed in the yeah. way you see things I think that my takeaways there are a couple um, we thought about our staff first and we continue to do that we continue to wear masks when we're working because that's the way we're going to keep people safe and it's really important it's also the only way we'll be able to keep packing cheese if someone gets mm. ill yeah but or or selling it from the shops but the importance of making the the decision that we believe is right by doing the research because we were on masks well before we were we were told to it's vital and and i think i think that's just that thinking you know making sure to do the right thing for your staff really important um second lesson there's always an opportunity and the thing that will kill you is when people are tired and worn out and don't have the vision to see them through. Paul and Ari call this the zone of blame and doubt. Do you know about this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, there is the zone of blame and doubt. It's a big deal. And by showing people it's that sharing the numbers it's showing them the cheese it's letting them know how much what they're doing of what they're doing really means to that producer all these things they're vital so vision for the zone of blame and blame and doubt um you as a md managing director business partner in the business um been here for a long time how do you keep on you know, you need to reinvent yourself, I almost call it sometimes when you're in the same business. How do you show up? I call it pro or strong every day and actually, you know, do do what you do because it takes a lot of energy. I know that running a business. What is your like your, your learnings around that? And especially the time we went through with yeah. you know, all the uncertainty, keeping people safe, not just yourself, but the responsibility of the business and so on. How do you do it? What is your what is your secret recipe? I think my secret recipe, I think my secret recipe is not such a secret. I think I'm honest with people. So if I'm having a rough day, I'll, I'll say it with a smile, you know, I'll say, Hmm, it's not a great day. Or, um, I'm inclined to say no to things. You know, I, I, Jason and Randolph, who we worked together for a long time, 
ideas everywhere and i i can do be like that too but i was the financial director at the time <laughs> and i i got in the habit of saying no too quickly and so now i make sure people know everyone from actually when they start i'm like when you approach me for an idea to give me an idea understand that my initial reaction will it'll it might sound like no but i'll question it i'll see the faults in it it's really important that you understand that in anywhere from 20 minutes to 24 hours i will have processed it enough to come through and i make i guess i make my weaknesses clear to people hopefully so that they understand where they are but they also see my strengths hmm. and and that honesty is what sees them through what the freshness is to come in and eat cheese right this is i guess that's the reset button that's like like you know turn it off turn it on uh with a um power cycling i go and taste cheese right and it focuses me on what we're trying to do I'll taste cheese. I'll grab my, my buying book and look at the, the batches that I selected at the farm and how they're maturing. Now, that's a reset for me. I'll go, if, if, if I'm not positive enough, I have people who I trust. I have a lot of people. Look, I'm a very fortunate man. I have a lot of people I trust who I could lean on a little and I'll say, hey, can we take a walk? I need to work through, chew through this problem. Is that, I think, but I think it's an honesty about who I am and, and what I'm like in the moment. And um, again, I'm really fortunate because I work with people who know enough that as much as I might not want to hear something, that I'm there to, t to hear it and to get a little better for that and and so that that's that's my way i'm very it's funny i'm quite an introvert in many ways but i also like people a lot and and will learn from them and i'm willing to work with them i think people trust me because they understand that I'm on their side. I'm I'm working for them, as a, a, a provide. You know, it's not a provide. It's not like I'm gonna rub them out. But you know, like provide. We're all working toward the the same end goal. You know, which is improve British cheese. And so, yeah, I have bad days, but I have people to to help me through them, which is good. Or sometimes I'll just you know. I'll take a, you know, I'll take an extra martial arts class. It helps, it helps center me in yeah. all seriousness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally know what you're talking about, especially yeah. when it comes to, you know, because it takes you away from focusing on the problem and focusing mm -hmm. on balance instead. Mm -hmm. um, last question, uh, David, today. There's so many things. We would probably continue for hours. Um, but uh, the last question uh 
you can have to stake and maybe give a, a couple of advice to other business leaders out there because mm. it is a time where we are rewriting the playbook for many things or that's definitely what we communicate and think uh, probably not much have changed but mm-hmm. we have an opportunity uh, talking about opportunities to, to change things what would you be your like top three advice to to leaders out there or two or one um not in not necessarily in order um you often have a choice an opportunity to do something and you could do it in a way that's a little kinder or a little less kind you could i think people should choose to be just a little kinder if they have that opportunity um number two you can't be afraid don't be afraid and it's not it you could be afraid to say yes you could be afraid to say no it doesn't matter just don't be afraid just look at things take the fear away and make it make a decision or make it make those choices and understand that emotion will play a role in it but try and try and block out fear if you're gonna if you're gonna pick on one emotion <laughs> fear in in the case of business fear fear is a good one a good one to have as a warning but when you're coming to that choice recognize you've been warned but make a choice that's not based on fear and the third thing is and this is personal i don't know how it affects other businesses because i've worked at the dairy for so long but keep coming back to the mission i i know that whenever we move away from talking about the mission too much you know if if it just gets kind of slumped off to the side that's when we go wrong and so take that time and especially in in the times when now there's time oh, yeah. to to revisit that and actually finding out what that means you you just yourself made your your 10 year yeah. mission that's being rolled out now yeah where can uh, people find you and uh, Neil's yard dairy if they they want to know more if they want to reach out ask you anything i've um well it's easy um at Neil's yard dairy i'm just david at neilsyarddairy.co.uk and I am okay with people emailing with a question. Just make sure to say on the tagline that it's out of the podcast that you heard about it. But I'm very happy to talk to people who are interested in thinking how we could do things better or have questions. Great. Thank you so much, David, for saying yes to having us and also like giving us the tour of the, the dairy. Uh, it was an absolutely incredible experience and, and tasting the cheese. But I think it's all about the pudding, isn't it? It's in, yeah. the, it's in the pudding. And uh, I send you and the, the team the, the power and energy you need to, to steer into the, the future, the next, the next decade as you're laid out. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure talking to you. My dog's pretty happy you're yeah, here too. Yeah. <laughs> He's just arrived, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Brilliant. 
thank you so much, Davy, for your great insights in how you build great organization by living purpose every day and putting people first in everything you do. I would recommend you to ask yourself, what can we do to involve our team more in making our business better? To get further inspiration on how to build an organization that put people first and on a mission bigger than profit, tune in to episode 91 with Pim DeMora, co-founder of Corporate Rebels on Progressive Missions. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. Remember to download your free copy of Fragile to Agile, a white paper done in cooperation with BizSimply. You can find it on BizSimply.com under the resource tab or via the link in the show notes. We have some great insights and solutions in there for improving your leadership game. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be maverick.